thank you, choir, orchestra, Sarah, Evelyn, Pop and Son. I mean, we've had some music this morning, haven't we? Of course, we do every Sunday, and I thank God for that. Let me begin with a question today. What makes you happy? That probably is determined by your age. I remember as a child, one of the happiest days of my life was when I received my first bicycle. I was so excited about that bicycle. It was red, had a light on it. I could go wherever I wanted to go, whenever I wanted to go. I had freedom I had never known before. And that was one of the happiest days of my life. But what if you're a teenager, young person? What makes you happy? Well, if you have a date and a clear face, And enough gas to go somewhere and maybe to get a hamburger. I mean, you're happy. It doesn't get much better than that. You're happy. What about a young adult? What makes you happy? Well, if you get a promotion, you get a raise or some, some recognition or something, that makes you happy. I, I was working at a television station in Texas, and there was this period of time when I had several other stations offer me jobs. So I actually quit where I was working three times, and each time they gave me a raise, except for the third time. When I went to my boss the third time, Tom Crane, I told him that a station in Oklahoma City had offered me a job, and they offered me more money. And he said, Wendell, I don't know how we're going to get along without you, but we're going to find out. And so that's how I ended up in Oklahoma City. But what about as a senior adult? What makes you happy? If, you know, most of us think before one is a senior adult that when you get to a certain age, you have it all figured out. I mean, everything is known. You are wise. You don't have all of these questions that younger people do. But when you get there, you realize that you are just as confused as a teenager. You don't know what's going on either. In fact, Phyllis Diller said, maybe it's true that life begins at 50, but everything else starts to wear out, fall out, or spread out. Billy Crystal said, by the time a man is wise enough to watch his step, he's too old to go anywhere. Well, today we're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We are at the Beatitudes, which I said was the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. And each one of the Beatitudes begins with the word blessed or happy. Each one of them begins, blessed are you or happy are you when such and such happens. Now, we looked at the first Beatitude last week and it's blessed are the poor in spirit. So he is saying, Happy, then, is the one who recognizes their spiritual poverty. Happy is the person who has come to the realization that they have nothing to offer to God. They recognize their own spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. As we come to the second beatitude today, he said, Blessed are those who mourn. Take your Bibles, look with me, Matthew chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 4. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. There are nine Greek words translated grief or mourn or sorrow. Barclay wrote the Greek word for to mourn used here is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. It is the word which is used for mourning for the dead, for the passionate lament for one who was loved. Folks, we all face times of mourning or sorrow. So, so let me put sorrow in three categories so that we sort of have some handle on it. For instance, there is a natural sorrow. There are some things for which it is natural that we mourn. There is an old Arab proverb that says, all sunshine makes a desert. Our life is not uninterrupted happiness. We have those times in our life when we mourn and that is natural. For instance, we mourn for those who die. The Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. He didn't say that we do not grieve. He said we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but we mourn for our loved ones who die. That is natural. Abraham mourned when his wife Sarah died. The Bible says in Genesis 23, 2, And Sarah died in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. She had been the love of his life, and now she's gone. And the Bible says that he went in and mourned for her. David mourned for his son Absalom who died. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 18, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. His heart was broken because his son was gone. And so it was natural then for him to mourn. You, you know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus he became ill. His sisters Mary and Martha sent word to, to Jesus that their brother was sick. The one whom you love is sick. But Jesus delayed in coming and when he came, Lazarus had died. And the Bible says, and Jesus wept. Folks, it is natural to mourn for those who die. That, that's normal. That is natural sorrow. This last year, Aldine Bassanio died, John Bassanio's wife. They had been such a team for so many years, loving each other, delighting in each other, serving the Lord together. Jo Beth Young died. She and Ed had been such a team for so many years, serving the Lord, such a tremendous ministry. Every night I pray for them because I, I just can't imagine being together that close for so long, serving together and loving each other and then losing one's spouse. And so I ask the Lord for his comfort for them. There are some of you who have lost your mate and God brings you to my mind and I pray for you because I know that there is a, a loss that is there. There is a void that is in your heart and it is natural to mourn for those that we have lost. 
David lost his son, mourned for him. Abraham lost his wife and mourned for her. That's natural. It is natural to mourn when there is divorce in a family because, because everyone is hurt. The, the spouses are hurt, the children are hurt, the family is hurt, everyone is hurt. And so it's natural to mourn about that. David mourned over his loneliness. In Psalm chapter 6, verse number 6, he said, I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. David was lonely. There was a sense of loneliness in his life. And he was grieved as a result of it. There was sorrow in his heart as a result of it. That's natural. It is natural to, to grieve for the hurt of others. When we see other people suffering, when we see other people sorrowing, it is natural to grieve for them. Abraham Lincoln wrote, I am sorry for the man who cannot feel the whip when it is laid on the other man's back. So when we talk about sorrow, there is a natural sorrow. There are some things that happen in life and it is natural for us to grieve. It is natural for us to sorrow. But there is an unnatural sorrow. A sorrow that comes from selfishness or a sorrow that comes when my sinful desires are not being fulfilled. I think a good example of that would be Ahab. Ahab was the king. He wanted a vineyard that was owned by Naboth. So he tried to get the vineyard and then he offered money for the vineyard, but Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. Because he says, that is a part of my inheritance and I will not sell it. So the Bible says that the king Ahab went into his house. He turned, he got on his bed. He turned his face to the wall and he mourned and felt sorry for himself as he pouted. Sometimes we mourn. We are really sorrowful because we didn't get the recognition we think we deserve or we don't have the appreciation we think we deserve, or we didn't get the promotion, maybe we were passed over, and we didn't get what we think we deserve, and as a result of that, we mourn, and then we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. There's self-pity. You see, I, some, something that I want is not satisfied, I'm sorrowful and mourn and grieve as a result of it, and then I feel sorry for myself. You know the story in the Bible about Job, and he suffered terribly. There were so many things that happened to him. He suffered physically. His friends told him there must be sin in his life. His wife said, why don't you curse God and die? All those things I feel for Job. But Job, for a period of time, got to the place where he was feeling sorry for himself. And in Job 3.11, he said, Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. I wish I'd never been born, is what he was saying. With all this suffering that is happening to me, I wish I had never been born. He was feeling sorry for himself. Elijah expressed an unnatural sorrow. He was up on Mount Carmel. He challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest to see whose God was the real God. 
You know the story as to how fire came down from heaven and consumed Elijah's offering and so forth. But immediately after that, that's interesting to me. I mean, all the power of God was displayed. The fire came from heaven. And immediately after that, Jezebel threatened his life. She said, I am going to do what you have done to my prophets. And then we see Elijah, after calling down fire from heaven, as he is fleeing for his life under the juniper tree. In 1 Kings 19, verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Do you see what happened to him? I mean, he had had this wonderful time with the Lord. The display of God's presence and power was manifest. And then there he is under the juniper tree saying, God, just take me on now. Kill me now. I'm not better than my father. I don't know who told him that he was or why he thought that he was, but apparently he did. I'm not any better than my father's. And he was feeling sorry for himself. So, there is a natural sorrow, those sorrows that are natural to us. All of us experience them. There are unnatural sorrows, sorrows of selfishness, feeling sorry for ourselves, and so forth. And then there is a godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, Paul wrote, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Albert Barnes commenting said, this is capable of two meanings. Either that those are blessed who are afflicted with the loss of friends or possessions, or that they who mourn over sin are blessed. That mourn over sin are blessed. That is what Jesus is speaking of. Blessed are those who mourn. You'll notice in verse number three, last week he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that is the intellectual part of my dealing with sin. I recognize that I am a spiritual beggar. I have nothing to bring to God. I have nothing to commend me to God. There is nothing good within me. That is within my flesh. So verse number three then is the intellectual part. I recognize my condition. Verse number four is the emotional part. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, so folks, you have to understand that it is, it is intellectual and it is emotional. Verse number four we're looking at today, that is my emotional response to verse number three. I told you that they are progressive, that one builds on the other, and that's what you're seeing. I recognize my spiritual condition and I mourn. Now that is demonstrated by David. You know the story of David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. The prophet Nathan, who was a friend of David, came to David because David had not repented of his sin. And Nathan felt that he needed to. And so Nathan the prophet came to David and he told a little story. He said, David, there is a man who has a lot of sheep. 
And there's another man, his neighbor, who has one little ewe lamb. And there was company that came to the man who had a lot of sheep, and so he needed to feed his company. So he went down to the man who had one little ewe lamb and took that ewe lamb. And David said, that man deserves to die. He deserves to die. And Nathan said, David, you're the man. You're the man. Now see, that is the intellectual part. It is a recognition of sin in his life. You are the man. It is the intellectual response. But then we see the emotional response as David goes to the Lord in Psalm 51 and repents of his sin. He said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know, when there is unconfessed sin in a believer's life, it's always there, isn't it? It's always in the back of your mind. And it's what David is saying. He is saying, God, it's always there. It is just always there. So with David, we see the intellectual part, you're the man, and then the emotional part, we recognize our sin and then we mourn over it. One commentator wrote, the thing which really changes men as when they suddenly come up against something which opens their eyes to what sin is and to what sin does. Blessed are those who mourn. There is a natural mourning, there is an unnatural mourning, and there is a godly mourning. He continues, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the comfort does not come from mourning. That is a catharsis. The comfort, if we desire the comfort of which he speaks, the comfort comes from repentance because repentance precedes comfort. Some of you are looking for comfort for the sin in your life, you must understand the comfort comes after repentance. So we have to deal with sin correctly. And there are many people who deal with their sin, but they do so incorrectly. There are those who deny sin. That was the Pharisees. They, they denied their sin. They saw everyone else's, but they denied their own. It's like in the story of the Pharisee and the publican going to pray and and the uh, publican beat upon his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee said, God, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I teach a Sunday school class. Occasionally I sing in choir. I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. See, th that's the way some people deal with their sin. They deny their sin. They see everyone else's, but they deny their own. There are some who deal with sin through a human solution. Okay, I have done this wrong. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I am going to do better. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. And so they see dealing with sin as being a human response. Some even come to despair, which was Judas. When Judas recognized his sin, rather than repent of his sin, the Bible says that he hung himself. Okay, so if we're going to have comfort, we have to deal with our sin the right way. But how is that? What is that? 
I think probably, at least for me, the best example is the story of the prodigal son in the Bible because he dealt with sin, I believe, correctly. He admitted it, first of all. He didn't blame anyone for his sin. He didn't blame his father, said, my father never understood me. He didn't blame his friends for taking advantage of him. Well, you know, they took advantage of me, took my money and all that. So he, he didn't blame anyone. He didn't rationalize his sin. He didn't say there are other people who do a whole lot worse than I've done. I mean, I'm not all that bad in comparison to others. We do that, don't we? Whenever we sin, we find some solace whenever we look at somebody. Yeah, but look at what they're doing. He didn't do that. He admitted it. The prodigal admitted his sin in Luke 15, 18. He says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I, I have sinned. And that's what David did in Psalm 51. Go through there sometime in Psalm 51 and just underline all the pronouns. He said, I have done this, my sin. So he, he admitted his sin. Well, that's what the prodigal did. He admitted his sin and then he repented of it when he says, I will get up and go to my father. That is repentance. Repentance means a change of mind. The idea is, is that I have changed my mind and now I go in a different direction. I realized that I was going the wrong way. I changed my mind and now I go in a different direction. And that's what the prodigal did. He admitted his sin. He repented of his sin. He said, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. David Brainerd, missionary to American Indians, wrote in my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and I bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. May I ask you, how long has it been since you've mourned over your sin? How long since your heart was broken like that and you mourned over your sin? You see, ladies and gentlemen, it is to the repentant that comfort comes. In fact, that is emphatic, which means you and you alone will be comforted, the one who is repentant. Barnes wrote, so those that grieve over sin, that sorrow that they have committed it, and are afflicted and wounded that they have offended God, shall find comfort in the gospel. When we deal correctly with our sin, we come to the Lord, we confess our sin, we repent of our sin. Then we are comforted. Jesus comforts us. The Bible says in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. So when Jesus said he'll give you another comforter, that implies that Jesus is a comforter. So when we come to the Lord, we are comforted. When we confess our sin, we are comforted. 
Jesus comforts us. The Holy Spirit comforts us because He is the other comforter. Scripture comforts us. Is it not true in your life that when maybe you've been away from the Lord, there's sin that's come into your life and, 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 you, and you feel this hunger for the Word of God and you go to the Word of God and read about how much God loves you and read about His forgiveness, read about His grace and His mercy that you are comforted by Scripture. Christians comfort us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus was a comfort to Paul when he came to Macedonia. He received comfort from this man of God. Believers comfort us. I have thought so many times when my dad died, my dad died at an early age, and I remember the funeral. I still, it's still etched in my mind. I can see what's around. But you know, I don't know one song that was sung at that funeral. I do not know what the preacher said at his funeral. But I remember those who were there. Because the people of God comforted us. They shall be comforted. Well, how do we become a mourner who is comforted? Let me just give you some suggestions because I know you want that. First of all, eliminate those things that harden your heart. There are some things in life that will harden your heart. Eliminate them. Pornography. I really believe that pornography is demonic because it is so widespread, it is so damaging, and it is so dangerous. And I've read all the statistics about the number of men, especially even in the church, who are engaged in pornography. Guys, if you are, I don't know. But if you are, it will damage everything about you, your spirit, your mind, your relationships, everything. So eliminate it from your life. Don't. Do whatever you have to do, but just eliminate it. Pride will harden your heart. You have to understand that, that my sin and your sin is so serious, Jesus died for it. Presumption, a belief that I can get away with sin. You see, I, I believe in the security of the believer. I believe that it is a precious scriptural doctrine. I believe it strongly. But that does not mean I don't have to deal with sin in my life. Even though I am secure in Christ, I still have to deal with sin. Procrastination, the longer I am engaged in a sin, the more comfortable I am with it. Paul Harvey told of an incident in Manchester, England. Three firemen burst into a house to save the people there because the house was on fire. They would not leave until they had finished watching their TV show. That's silly, isn't it? But how many of us have our houses burned down spiritually and we won't leave? David sinned, but he repented of his sin. And he said, Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Peter denied the Lord, but he repented and Jesus restored him to service, feed my sheep. 
Ask God to give you a tender heart towards God and be sensitive towards sin. So let me ask you, are you a mourner? That's what this beatitude is. So are you a mourner? Are you sensitive to sin? To your own sin? Do you tolerate it? Do you rationalize it? Or do you mourn over it? What about the world's sin? How do you respond to that? John Knox grieved over Scotland, couldn't sleep at night. And his wife said to him, honey, you have to sleep. You have to sleep. To which he replied, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? Are you sensitive to sin? Your own sin, the sin of the world, do you tolerate it? Rationalize it? Or do you mourn over it? What Jesus is saying as he deals with us, and he's speaking about happiness, he said we have to repent of sin. Intellectually, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I recognize my spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn. I mourn over my condition. And when I do, I am comforted. They shall be comforted. My friend, I don't know about your sin, nor is it any of my business. The Lord does. Let me encourage you today, whatever it is, be like the prodigal son. Just be honest about it that the Lord may comfort you. Our gracious Father in God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for your instruction. I thank you for every person who listens to it. And Lord, today I pray that you will draw people unto yourself that they may respond as with a recognition of sin and, and mourning over it, that they may receive your comfort. I just lift this invitation up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we will stand, extend an invitation if you're without Christ to come and trust Christ. Something else, come. Join the church, dedicate a new year life. You've come. So I'm going to ask that you stand, and as we stand, they sing. As they sing, you come, and I'll greet you as you do.
You may be seated. 